again Linda O'Call Jenner with another Motivational Moments podcast. Today I have been signing books at a local bookstore and evidently I am the most popular author so far and sold the most books. It was very tiring even though I do talk a lot as part of my job as a professional speaker today I almost lost my voice as everyone wanted to speak with me. Everyone who spoke to me had a personal story and they were all very touching and some were very sad. I was very pleased with how the day went and came home exhausted but luckily for me my wonderful long-suffering husband Dave cooked supper and it was yummy. Actually it could have been paper and spiders for all I knew. I ate it with almost closed eyes as I was very hungry anything would have tasted nice. Just teasing we had soup and pizza. Well, I'm going to cut to the chase, guys, because as I mentioned before, we are today interviewing Dave Ockwell Jenner again, the founder of Solar Nexus Solutions. So let's get straight into the interview with Dave. I think he's got a lot to tell us, and you'll all find it quite riveting, and it will help us all with our small business solutions, and we'll all be a little bit more security conscious in future. Hello, David. It's good to have you back. Hi again, Linda. So, um, if I can remember rightly, in our last podcast, we'd left our conversation where we were talking about um, small business owners who had wireless networks. That's correct. And again, my memory is really bad, um, but I have an idea. We talked about how they weren't thinking of their wireless network um, in a security conscious kind of way in the sense that they knew they had to lock the wireless network. They were just thinking, well, you know, we turn off the computer and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think we also uh, just briefly touched on the idea that uh, unlike a wired network where you just plug into the wall, those wireless signals escape out of the four walls of your office and you know into the garden down the street and uh, you know anyone can pick them up so concerning a small business if they a small business has a wireless network how can their security be impacted by um, not just someone sitting outside in a car and connecting to their wireless network I believe we talked about that last time where they can secure credit card information, um, telephone numbers and important information like that from their customers but what else can be impacted if your wireless um, network connection is um, stolen shall we say? Yeah that's a good point. Um, Actually there's a a little bit of uh, legal precedence to observe here as well. So just uh, picture this scenario. You're busily working away on your computer in your office and unbeknownst to you, someone is you know, parked up outside of your office or maybe across the street or a few blocks down. And they've also connected to your wireless network. Now, what they're doing on your network is maybe not the same as what you're doing. So while you're sat there reconciling your accounts and working on the, the next greatest sales presentation, you know, all that fun stuff that we do as small business owners, um, the bad guy could be you know, a little ways away. And he's actually using your connection to... Uh, 
download porn, to you know conduct some illegal activity on the internet, so on. Now, where that becomes interesting is you know you as the owner of that inter internet connection, or as the customer of the internet service provider providing that internet connection to you, you're sort of legally liable for what you do with that connection. So, I mean, imagine the surprise you're sat there doing your accounts and there's a knock at the door and you have a couple of friendly police folk uh, have, have just paid you a visit and they're very interested in why you were downloading child pornography, for example. Now, okay, obviously, yeah. yeah, obviously you weren't doing that, but somebody was doing that on your network. Now, when you go to court uh, and you need to defend yourself and uh, obviously, you know, run through the facts, it's very difficult to demonstrate who exactly was doing what on your network other than a computer accessed a website that had some inappropriate material. That's terrible. So um, small business owners, I guess, should be aware of this. What about the larger businesses, the corporations? Do they have the same challenges? Yeah, absolutely they have the same challenges. I think um, the more security conscious larger companies that I've seen they actually have started to take a look at this and essentially what they're doing is they're limiting the use of the internet for their employees to begin with. So unlike from say your connection in your small business or from your home, pretty much you can connect to any kind of service on the internet. So you can be looking at web pages, you can use instant messaging programs and all these various technologies that are out there. However, within a sort of larger corporate setting, what you tend to find is that your use of the internet is very locked down to begin with. So even if the uh, you know even if the, the bad people are, are sort of connected to that network, there is a little bit of limitation as to what they can do. You also find as well in the larger companies that they're a lot more, um, uh, let's say, conscious about logging network activity. So, for example, large company that uh, that I've done some work with. They actually have some equipment in place that literally sits and watches absolutely every single little piece of data going backwards and forwards on the network. And it keeps a copy of all of that for up to three or four months. Now, what the company can then do is if there is a problem, like I say, if the police show up at the door and say, hey, we think there's something you know not cool going on here and we'd like to talk to you about it, the company can actually go back and look through those logs and say, well, you know, according to the, the stuff that we've tracked, this looks like a, a laptop that connected to our network that's not one of our laptops. We can prove it's not one of ours. So, you know, therefore they have, uh, have the ability to demonstrate that uh, they have a certain degree of innocence there. Okay, so that's good for small business owners to know. And it's also good that the, um, the bigger corporations' um, businesses are actually being very proactive in that sense. Um, I have been reading the newspapers a lot again um, about um, people who work within an organization who actually are the bad guys. Yeah. Um, how can we protect ourselves against um, bad guys within our own organization? That's a great point and it's, it's a very difficult thing to defend against. So inherently, and I think we spoke about this a little bit last time, is once you're on the inside of the company, pretty much from a security perspective, everything is considered to be safe. So, you know, sort of implicitly, all employees are trusted, all computer systems are trusted, all software is trusted. Now, what that effectively means is that if someone works within that organization that perhaps 
you know, does have a malicious intent or perhaps wishes to cause the company some grief, it's relatively easy for them to do so. So essentially what companies are doing is there's actually a two-pronged approach that they take. First and foremost, there's the sort of what I call the policy and procedure. So they will actually formulate a number of documents uh, pertaining to things like acceptable use of the network policy, um, acceptable use of email policy, so on and so forth. And basically what these do is they lay out for the employee exactly what the responsibilities that employee has uh, in terms of uh, information security. And more importantly also spells out the things they can and cannot do. And the reason that becomes important is for, you know, if there is an instance where an employee is discovered perhaps uh, with some malicious intent, the company's HR department can actually use that policy and procedure to enact termination. Now, on the other hand as well, there are also some sort of technical measures that companies uh, probably should, but maybe not as much as they would like to probably put in place. And that is to actually sort of, I'm not going to use the word spy, but certainly observe the actions of their employees a little bit more. So, as I mentioned earlier, some companies have some you know systems in place that keep a list, uh, keep a uh, a log, uh, if you will, of everything that happens on the network. I think a lot of companies are certainly looking at how they can take that a step further, in terms of looking at what files people have on their computers, how they send those files around. So maybe mm. looking into emails, that kind of stuff. Mm. Again, um, we are touching on a grey area here, here because obviously we all like to think that we have our personal privacy, we have our, our rights, you know, we, we, we have a right to do certain things and certain things are private and we don't want kind of Big Brother looking over our shoulder. On the other hand, um, there could be the scenario, I guess, where, and this is more important from my perspective as a small business owner, if I have a trusted employee within my organization who for whatever reason feels upset, um, they could obviously infiltrate my my network, if that's the right word, mm -hmm. and they could maybe damage my credibility with my customers. That's correct. And I think uh, one of the sort of valid defenses against that is uh, something called the principle of least privilege. So the basic idea in that uh, that scenario is that individuals within the organization have enough access and enough power to do to, to basically just do their job and nothing more. And I think a lot of companies, certainly that uh, a number that I've worked with, have, have maybe not always looked at that as being quite as important as it is. So in essence, I mean, really what we're saying is, let's say the, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll pick the, the office secretary, um, you know, the admin assistant that's working maybe in a small business. Is there any need for the admin assistant to have full control over your accounting system? Probably not. So the principle of least privilege would say, you know, what is the absolute minimum access that this individual needs in order to perform their role? And then you actually use the technology just to grant that access and nothing more. Okay, but um, again, going back to the admin assistant, I know um, many years ago when I was actually um, helping out um, one of my mentors, uh, in those days it was a case of signing a signature for, for my mentor. I signed her signature on hundreds of letters by hand. Today, what a lot of um, admin people are asked to do is send out letters, emails via the internet, obviously. Um, 
in the name of the person they're working for, it's already signed and sealed. So um, do you get where I'm coming from here? Yeah, certainly. And I know um, looking at, at that from an email perspective, I know a number of the technologies that are out there certainly do give that, uh, that specific ability. I mean, it, it's quite often the case that the admin assistant will actually be the person sending out the emails on behalf of the, the yeah. VP, right? And basically, I guess what small business owners are worried about is that um, a trusted employee, for whatever reason, could obviously um, act maliciously, making it look like it was the person who owns the business, and then we could lose customers, we could lose credibility, and also, again, proving that you know we didn't do the, the, the bad thing and it was someone else. Um, we are really, really, again, in a very gray area, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, organizations that uh, work with the, the area of security forensics probably come into play. So the role there is, you know, much like you see on CSI on the TV, is to actually come in and take a look at the technology and to determine exactly what happened with that technology. Uh, so, I mean, oftentimes this is used in sort of a, a legal setting. You know, let's say the police are wanting to find out what's on a suspect's computer. Mm. Uh, they might engage the services of a forensic investigator to actually go through and find out, you know, what the computer was doing, who was logged on, what files were updated, so on and so forth. Now, would you say that um, in every case it should be someone doing the forensics outside of the company, or would it be quite acceptable to have someone within the company doing the forensics? Yeah, a lot of uh, companies, especially larger ones, will certainly have an internal forensics uh, group. Um, I think what's important, really, rather than whether the forensics are done in-house or, uh, or externally, as is the case in, in a number of other situations, is that those uh, those processes are auditable, so that uh, an external auditor can actually come in and validate each and every forensic investigation and say yes, this was carried out, you know, in accordance with best practice. The evidence that was collected is safe and secure and hasn't been tampered with, and the conclusions that were arrived at uh, are you know sort of consistent with uh, with other similar cases. Okay, now I know. Um I run a business network group, the Small Business Community Network Group, and I know a lot of the um, businesses that are growing and thriving, which is fantastic, are getting kind of scared about the technology, about the fact that um, all these terrible, terrible things are going on and, you know, our security can be infiltrated. And I guess in a way it's it's taken away the confidence of these people. Who do we trust? Who do we turn to? So again, um, I say for the small business owners, because I'm guessing the corporations are well taken care of, who would you advise the small business owners would contact if they wanted, is audit a good word of their security in place? Would audit be a good word or...? Yeah, no, that's actually a very good, uh, very good word. Um, I think the the sort of technical term would be a risk assessment. Okay. Um, and then there's a logical follow-on to the risk assessment, which is a vulnerability assessment. So let me explain a little bit about what those two are, and then uh, you know maybe we can lead into where one might actually get a hold of some of those services. So a risk assessment is pretty much as it sounds. It's a a process whereby um, a security professional would take a look at the business from a security point of view 
and they would be looking to identify and in some cases even quantify um, certain risks. Now, just to pick a, a very good example, um, I'll use your, uh, your locked door example from previously. So if you have an office building and the front door is not locked, which is pretty typical, right? Because you want people to be able to walk in and out of your office for mm -hmm. you know, meetings, customer presentations, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens if your receptionist uh, decides to go off and take their lunch between, let's say, 12.30 and 1.30? That means that uh, potentially you might not have anyone on that front desk at all. It could just be unmanned. And at the same time, you have an open door to your office. So really, what's to stop someone walking in the door and just sitting down on, uh, on the receptionist's uh, computer there and having a good old nose around, maybe popping in a little USB key or a, uh, an iPod or something like that to, to copy files to, copying off as much data as they can get, you know, unplugging it and walking back out the door. That's, oh. that's an example of a, of a risk. Okay. And the risk assessment serves to look at all of those kinds of things and essentially express it in business terms. And in business terms really means in dollars. Uh, so it's looking at that risk and saying, how likely is it that, uh, you know, that would occur? Um, what's the financial impact if it did occur? And, you know, how much money to, uh, potentially would we need to spend in order to prevent that happening in the future? That's interesting. Yeah, and then the next logical step uh, after a risk assessment is usually a thing called a vulnerability assessment. And the vulnerability assessment really goes into a little bit more detail than the risk assessment, looks at it uh, from a slightly different perspective, which is a little bit more the technical and the detail level stuff. And, you know, to pick an example, uh, again, on the, on the computer, let's say. Um, maybe the risk assessment process uncovered the fact that um, you know all of the users of the the computers in a company are using an old version of Windows. Let's say they're all using Microsoft Windows 98, and you know the risk is identified that the software is old, so therefore it could have some problems, and uh, you know there's something might need to be done about that. And potentially the risk assessment would say you know the cost of updating everything to the latest version of Windows would be however much it is ten thousand dollars, let's say. Mm -hmm. Well, the vulnerability assessment would actually look at that uh, Microsoft Windows 98 and actually probably produce a list and saying, well, here are all the things that are actually wrong with it. So not just to say there is some you know, potential problem, it's more of a case of enumerating those problems and saying, you know, here are 10 ways that people could break into that computer just because it's running old software. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, a thought comes into my mind, and I know primarily we are talking about you know small business owners, but um, I'm thinking myself. Um, I'm out and about a lot um, in the community with my business, and what never ceases to amaze me um, is how the bigger companies have this um, this um, security card. It's like a swipe card, mm -hmm. in in order that they can then go into the building. That's right. And I'm always amazed. Now, I always wear a badge. I always wear a badge with the name of my company, Motivational Steps and Linda Rockwell Jenner. And so wherever I go, um, people can look at that badge, obviously, to know who I am. So I'm always amazed um, how some of these bigger companies that give their employees these swipe cards, um, the employees will stand and open the door for me to <laughs> go in with them. 
Um, I've even got as far as um, into um, some of the offices um, when I was visiting a friend, but nobody actually asked who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went to the wrong floor and was wandering around this big office building, and people are sitting in their little, you know, workstations. I haven't got a visitor's pass on me. I haven't got one of the, you know, proper badges. Um, and again, I think this applies more to the bigger corporations. Um, if I was a bad guy, I guess in essence I could sit down at one of the desks and, you know, if the computer's not locked or whatever you're supposed to do, I could do what you just talked about in the receptionist kind of um, idea. That's right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the, the sort of big areas of, of security that I think it, it's easy to let it get you depressed but really, it you know, it, it's just something that we we have to be cognizant of the fact that it's there, and that is, you know, at the end of the day, even if we put all of the best brains together and fixed all of the technology out there to the point where it was, you know, relatively stable and secure, the the weak link is still going to be us human beings. Um, fundamentally, we are, you know, flawed creatures. You could say, uh, from a security point of view, at least, anyway. Uh, as you say, you know, people like to be helpful. They like to open the door. They like to engage you in conversation, and when they do so, tell you all kinds of things that you know perhaps they probably shouldn't. Um, it, it, within the security realm, it's uh, an area that we call social engineering is actually very, very uh, important to to sort of consider. Let me give you a real example. So, you know, let's say I would like to get a hold of someone's username and password so that I could log into a system. I maybe don't have their username and password. Um, so a typical scenario is I might phone up the help desk at a company. And, you know, I phone up the help desk. I say, hi, I'm looking for, you know, Joe Blogs in finance. Have I got the right number? Now, you know you've called the help desk, so you know you haven't come through to the finance department. Typically, the person on the help desk, unless they've been you know, trained in these kinds of things, they're going to try and be helpful. So they're going to say, no, 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 you've come through to the help desk. Um, who are you trying to get in touch with? To which point I might say, I'm actually looking for someone in finance. Is there a chance you could transfer me? Okay, so the help desk person is being you know, helpful. Certainly, I'll just transfer you. Stay right there. So what they actually do is they will transfer me on the phone to someone in finance person in finance sees on their little display on their phone, on the caller ID, someone from the help desk is calling. Okay? So they pick up the phone, and I'm on the other end. So I say, hi, I'm from the help desk. I'm just doing a quick audit of a number of the systems here, and I just need your username and password to confirm that everything's great in the system. Well, I'm now trusted, right? I'm from the help desk. The telephone caller ID says so. Hmm. So the finance person being helpful is going to give me their username and password. And bingo, I've just managed to trick someone into giving me information that otherwise they probably shouldn't. That's scary. And from what I gather when I read my business magazines and, you know, look around the internet, it's 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 more so the bigger corporations that are prone to, to letting things like that happen because the smaller businesses... Um, I guess are more on top of it and kind of don't have the help desk. So basically, um, they know that whoever's on the end of the line has definitely got the wrong number. That kind of scenario. Do you think complacency plays a big part in in why a lot of these security breaches?
issues are happening today? Complacency from the part of the company? Yeah, I think it's it's complacency and it's also the fact that, you know, in a typical day there are so many things that we need to concern ourselves with, you know, did I lock the front door on the way out? Did I feed the pets before I left for work? You know, is the car okay? Did I pay the mortgage? So on and so forth. That's understandable, but you know, I think from a customer's perspective, I need to assure my customers, my clients, that um, any information I have about them is safe and secure. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm doing a good job of that because I'm going to all the right people to put these processes in place. But again, going back to a security breach you talked about in the last podcast, um, a big American company, I believe that was much... Um, complacency, um, we'll know it'll never happen to us. Um, and I think, again, the big corporations are always thinking that, aren't they? We'll know it'll never happen to us. Yeah, I think there's, there's an element of that, certainly. But, uh, you know, as well, it's the, it's the individual's responsibility to look after a number of these things. And, you know, unlike me, uh, you know, most people in the world are not always looking at things in such a cynical and uh, and sometimes sinister manner, right? It's just not in our nature to kind of go around saying, well, what happens if? But so. um, I know in my case, um, when I gather information from my clients for whatever reason, they ask me, um, you know, what I'm going to do with that information. More and more people today want to know what you're doing with that information, if it's going to be secure. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a lot of the bigger companies, the bigger organizations, they also have to assure their clients, their customers of the same thing. So surely if, if you're promising me now that whatever I'm handing over to you, whatever personal information, whatever, if you're assuring me because you've got my money that it's going to be safe, surely you should be honoring that, that, that promise. Surely you shouldn't be thinking, well, it's not important, it's not going to happen to us. Absolutely. And I think the way companies you know, try to, to do that is by having sort of regular review. So there are a number of sort of international standards bodies that will, you know, lay out a set of uh, business processes and approaches that a company should take in order to maintain a good security posture. And really the effectiveness of those is, is only sort of brought about by, you know, someone actually coming in from outside the company on a, a periodic and regular basis and actually making sure that people are doing, you know, the things that they should be doing, following the processes that are set out. Well, that's good to know. But again, primarily today um, and in the last podcast, we were talking about security for small business owners. And I truly believe that a lot of the smaller business owners are looking at the... Um, how can I, the mistakes and the security breaches that are going on. And I think this is making them be more proactive. I think it's making them contact companies such as yours and say, hey, we need some help, we need some advice. Would you agree with this? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a, an absolute tremendous turnaround, certainly in the small business uh, sector, where companies are actually now looking at security very differently. So it always used to be that, you know, security was this kind of necessary evil and, you know, we'll get around to it when it's, you know, when something bad happens, we'll fix it up then. What I'm seeing now is that companies are actually looking at it from the point of view of, you know, if we've got a good handle on this stuff and, you know, we, we actually do have some solid processes in place, we use the technology appropriately, we can actually go out to the marketplace and say, hey, everyone, look at us. 
we are you know not only providing the service or the product that you want but we're doing it in a much more secure way so i'm actually finding that companies especially in the small business sector are actually using their good security stance or their good security knowledge as a way to you know differentiate themselves in the marketplace and I think that will definitely pay off. Now, um, if anyone listening to the podcast does want to contact you, Dave, um, could you just give everybody, again, your business name and any contact information? Certainly. So the business name is Solar Nexus Solutions, and you can reach us on the web at www.solar-nexus.com. So that's solar as in the solar system, and Nexus is N-E-X-U-S. Uh, so our contact details are on there as well. You can obviously email me directly, and my email address is doj at solar-nexus.com. Uh, those are probably the best ways to find me. Unfortunately, I'm very rarely near the telephone in order to be able to uh, take a call, but uh, either of those two mechanisms should uh, be able to get a hold of us. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, um, I'd like to thank you again, Dave, for taking time to come along and um talk about security it's obviously a subject that I would love to um, go on and on about because I'm very interested in it so uh, maybe in a couple of months time if you've got some um, some new uh, information for us or you want to update us maybe you'll come back again and, and we'll interview you um, for the podcast listeners I would love to that would be great okay thank you mm -hmm.